from the California Academy of Family Physicians. This is The Talk, a podcast series about conversations with patients about end-of-life care. In this episode... There's a taboo about talking about death in life. How do you decide what to do? Well, you look where you're going. But when we're dying, we tend to look a different direction. When we talk about end-of-life planning, we frame it as, do you want everything to be done or nothing to be done? Who would make that choice? Family physicians share stories and advice on how to help patients do advanced care planning. There's a lot of confusion about the forms associated with end-of-life care, such as advanced directives, DNR orders, and post forms. Greg Vandekeep is a palliative care specialist in Washington State. One of the challenges with advanced care planning discussions is often the people making the decisions don't have a real clear picture of what it is they're deciding about. That's an important role for a family physician to educate patients that this is about their choice. Palliative care chaplain, Lavera Crawley. And I think the way to do it is to not have the conversation about filling out a form. It's having the conversation about what are your values? What do you want? An advanced directive can include things like what would be most important to you should you become paralyzed, unable to speak, or unable to breathe on your own? Would you want to be fed intravenously? Like many family physicians, Lisa Thompson has developed a close relationship with her patients and their families over decades. She talks to them about advanced care planning at least once a year. All my patients tend to have one visit that's kind of called the annual. It could be the annual physical, it could be the annual checkup. We're go- going over medicines, we're going over vaccine protocols, I'm going all- over all their screening tests. And as part of that conversation is also, oh, and what are our end-of-life concerns? Do we have any? Do you have any plans? Do you guys have your advanced directive? As a solo practitioner, Thompson arranges her schedule to devote plenty of time to each patient. But for most physicians, it can be a challenge to fit advanced care planning into a 15-minute visit, says Lowell Kleiman. And you don't want to just spring it on somebody. In other words, you don't want to say, okay, we've talked about your diabetes, but you you have a very serious illness and we need to talk about end of life. So that's an example of how you don't want to do it. Kleinman is director of palliative care at Memorial Care Medical Group in San Clemente. He recommends spreading the conversation over several visits. Until recently, few insurers reimbursed for care planning consults, but Gleiman says that's beginning to change. Thankfully now, those advanced care planning visits are covered by Medicare. There's two brand new codes, 99497 for the first 30 minutes, 99498 for the last 30 minutes. Patients might be reluctant to write an advanced directive because they think it means signing away their right to life-saving treatment. Most people have an idealized view of CPR, from seeing it on TV, says Greg Vandekieft. They may think, oh, well, you know, they just shock my chest a few times, use a bag mask uh, ventilation, and I'll be right back like I was. Um, and it's often not that simple. Uh, let's just say television doctors have a much higher success rate. Patients need to know that real-life CPR can leave broken ribs and often poor outcomes, says medical ethicist Steve Heilig. Their problem with it being is you can bring somebody back to a point that they wouldn't want hooked up to all the life-sustaining, physiology-sustaining interventions, but have had brain damage. Some people don't want that. 
Patients can specify that they don't want to be resuscitated but still get life-saving treatment. That's the purpose of the POLST form. So here's the form right here, the Physician's Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment, or POLST. Uh, it is a brightly colored, at its best, it doesn't have to be, but it's advisable that this is a kind of a fuchsia color so it stands out in the patient's chart, although it will also go into electronic medical records now. It's not just patients who need education about post forms, but also the doctors who care for them, says Carl Steinberg, a family physician and long-term care geriatrician in San Diego County. When I recently gave a talk to some physicians in a long-term acute care facility, they asked me, so the person's a DNR on the post. I would never have to intubate that person, right? That's completely wrong. Opinions vary on who should have a post form and when to fill one out. Lisa Thompson sees many patients between the ages of 90 and 103. Well, the post forms are mandatory, right, when you're in an extended care facility. They're also mandatory when you become part of a senior living complex. They're not really mandatory you live in your own house. That's why we rely on the advanced directives, right? Family physician Clarissa Kripke cares for patients with complex disabilities at UC San Francisco. She says patients like hers should always have a post form on hand because, she says, there's an unspoken bias in the medical community against using aggressive medical interventions to extend their lives. Some people may be surprised to know that people can live good lives on ventilators at home. That doesn't mean that that's a likely outcome for people who are elderly, but there are many people with disabilities, such as neuromuscular disabilities, who live very well on chronic ventilators and who go to school and work and have relationships and marry. Lowell Kleiman says when he's not sure if a patient needs a pulse, he asks himself the surprise question. And the surprise question is, would you be surprised if your patient passed away in the next 12 months? And if the answer is no, I wouldn't be surprised, then I know it's time to have a pulse conversation. We need to know what do you want to do if your heart stops? What would you like to do if your lungs stop? If you can't feed yourself? Cross Steinberg. In California, by the way, the law requires that if we become aware that a person has a prognosis of less than a year life expectancy, we have to disclose that to the patient. Patients tend to be receptive to the post conversation when they have a life-threatening condition, says Chris Flores, a family doctor in Palm Desert. For example, if I have a patient who was just discharged from the hospital after a very uh, scary episode of congestive heart failure or something like that, and they have a very low ejection fraction and a poor prognosis overall, I will actually uh, introduce the post form and give them a copy to take home so that they can review it, uh, discuss it with family members, and basically get comfortable with the form before we even fill it out. Geriatrician Christine Ritchie. I go through it step by step with them. And actually, one of the things that often happens with post forms is that people get confused about, A, if you were found without a pulse. It's a totally different scenario than B, which is if you were to experience a serious illness suddenly. And then finally, you know, there's a question about proxy. Proxies are also called surrogates. Steve Heilig. Surrogates are something we ask for right up front, trying to find out who has been empowered or would be empowered next of kin to make difficult choices and, and communicate for the patient. And that's really about identifying somebody you trust that you're willing to actually talk to about this 
and then make sure that that's communicated to others. I am so grateful that I had an advanced directive in place for my father. Levera Crawley. He was determined to live to 100. The only caveat to that is if he ever reaches the point where he can't recognize his family. Seven years later when he was in the ICU, when I got there he recognized me and he recognized my brother and that was a sign according to his advanced directive that he wanted a full court press so we gave it to him and he lived seven more years. Christine Ritchie says before guiding patients through their choices for end-of-life care, the best way for a physician to prepare is to write down what they would want for themselves and discuss it with their loved ones. I trained a bunch of other faculty members in palliative care and I had them fill out their advanced directives. And one of the most amusing experiences was that many of these individuals, when they went over it with their partners, were completely of different minds about what they wanted. And their partners really probably would not have followed you know, what was important to them had they not actually filled it out. For more information on advanced directives and post forms, as well as links to more resources, please visit our website at familydocs.org forward slash EOL. In episode three, communicating with families, lessons in cultural sensitivity and family dynamics at the end of life. The talk is brought to you by the California Academy of Family Physicians. Produced by Deirdre Kennedy, edited by Kate Nitza and Kat Snow. Audio editing by Michael Johnson. The music is by Big Score Audio. I'm Deirdre Kennedy. <laughs>